after his last supper with the disciples, the Gospels tell us what happens next. Jesus takes his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And there he tells his disciples, he says, sit here while I go and pray. And Jesus took with him three disciples, Peter, James, and John. And they went into the garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Jesus said to Peter, James, and John, My soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and keep watch. Jesus went a little farther into the garden. And he fell to the ground. And he prayed that if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, but not what I will, but what you will. Jesus came back from where he was praying and he found Peter, James, and John and they were asleep. Jesus said to Simon, Peter, are you sleeping? Could you not have kept watch for just one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. For indeed the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus went again to pray in the garden. He said the same words again to his father. And then he came back to his three disciples and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. And they did not even know how to respond to him when he spoke to them. Jesus went and prayed a third time. And came back and found them sleeping and said, Are you still sleeping, taking your rest? It is enough. The time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. We learn from Jesus that in times of testing, we see Jesus do two things. We see Jesus do two things in times of testing. And we're living in a time of great testing in our world, in our nation, in the church of Jesus Christ. We would be wise to do the same things that Jesus did. First, we see Jesus praying. In the garden, he's praying earnestly to his father. He surrenders his heart to his father's will. And after this prayer in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus will be betrayed by a good friend with a kiss. He'll be arrested. He'll be tried illegally at night. He will be tortured. He will be sentenced to death, Roman crucifixion. 
That was at the end of his ministry. And he was tested in the garden. And really in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus made clear that he was going to do his Father's will. Many times in our prayer life, we have to just surrender. Lord, not what I want, but what you want. But Jesus was also tested not just at the end of his ministry, but at the very beginning of his public ministry. The Gospels tell us, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that he experienced temptation. Look at Mark, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. The Bible says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. There were two things that Jesus did, we know, in the Gospels when he was tested. First, he prayed, but here he fasted. Ecclesiastes 3, what a beautiful chapter in the Bible, begins this way in verse 1, that there is a time for every matter under heaven. Today's message is entitled, A Time for Prayer and Fasting. In the Bible, we read about those besides Jesus who fasted 40 days. Look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 28. It says there, so he, who is he? That's Moses. Moses was with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Just a quick comment here. Moses is doing what's called an absolute fast. No one can survive 40 days without water. But he was with the Lord God on top of Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And God supernaturally kept him alive. Could Jesus have done a supernatural fast in the wilderness? He certainly could have. But we have every reason to believe that Jesus did the more traditional fast. That is, he drank water, but did not eat. So we see Jesus fasting 40 days, 40 nights. Moses fasting 40 days and 40 nights. But who else? One other person. Now it doesn't explicitly say that Elijah fasted. But we can infer that from the text. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 8. This is after he called down fire from heaven on top of Mount Carmel. And defeated Baal, the enemy of God's people, that false god. He had ran away from Jezebel, the queen who had threatened to take his life. He was in a very low place emotionally and even spiritually. And Elijah is just spent. But God sustains him. Look at 1 Kings 19. And he, Elijah, arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So we have every reason to believe that Elijah also fasted 40 days and 40 nights from food. Isn't it something? A few weeks ago I talked about the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Who was it who appeared to Jesus on top of that mountain? Moses and Elijah. 
Those three men had something in common. They all three fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. From Moses receiving the commandments of God on Mount Sinai that took place while he was fasting. To Elijah who was convinced he was the only one left in all of Israel who had not bowed down to worship the false god Baal. But God spoke to him in that still small voice after he fasted. And said, no, there's 7,000 people who've not bowed down to Baal. And then God gave him his next assignment. You see, when we fast and when we pray, God will reveal things to us. Just like he revealed to Moses. When we fast and when we pray, God will assure us of what we need to know about ourselves and others. God will give us our assignments ahead. What about Jesus, the context of his fasting and prayer? Well, it's important for us to remember that Jesus is referred to by the Apostle Paul as the second Adam or the last Adam. The first Adam and Eve in the garden were also tempted by the enemy. And they failed the test. Isn't it interesting that the enemy, Satan, asked tempted Eve and Adam to take and eat that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It involved their appetite to eat. And they gave in to temptation, the Bible says, and that's why we're in this mess that we're in as a world because of sin. But Jesus is the second Adam. He is the last Adam. He was tempted by the devil 40 days without food. He certainly was hungry. And the first temptation that Satan brought to him was, hey, turn these stones into bread. Jesus certainly had the power to do that. Yet he chose not to yield to the enemy. And Jesus defeated Satan In that moment, three times he was tempted and three times he responded with the word of God. So we learn a lot about Moses, Elijah, and Jesus in this modeling of fasting and prayer. You see, they all experienced this season of prayer and fasting. Forty days. I talked about during our time of the Lord's Supper how this world is very troubled right now how we are seeing great uncertainty Russia has invaded the Ukraine what will be their next target if they're successful to take that country how will our nation respond will these actions embolden China to invade Taiwan what does all of this mean for the rest of this world I've heard things being said this last week of this is the beginning of World War III But just stop for a minute and think about the past two years. What has happened in our country and in our world? We had months of racial unrest and riots and protests. We had a contentious presidential election, an angry group storms the capital in protest and all this is taking place in the midst of a two-year global pandemic COVID-19 fear 
chaos, confusion have gripped our world. We are living in uncertain times. There's a time and a matter for every season under heaven, and we are living in uncertain times. Would you agree? We certainly are. Therefore, if there was ever a time that we as the church of Jesus Christ put on the full armor of God, now is that time. If there was ever a time that we needed to hear from God, now is that time. If there was ever a time that we needed to come together and pray as God's people as one, now is that time. If there was ever a time that we might unify our hearts as the church of Jesus to resist the enemy, push back the darkness, and penetrate our lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ now is the time. For the enemy has done and is doing what he's always done. Jesus said he's been a liar from the beginning. He unleashed a terrible plot against the Israelites to destroy the Jewish people. Esther was the queen. And her uncle Mordecai was very wise and perceptive and said these words to Esther, Esther 4, 14. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Let us not keep silent for such a time as this. Let us call upon the name of the Lord together. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so shall i be saved from my enemies i will call upon the lord let us storm the very gates of hell with the truth of the word of god let us take back the territory the enemy has stolen let us be anointed with the spirit of god to proclaim good news the gospel to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom to the captive, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, the recovery of sight to those who are blind, and to set at liberty all those who are oppressed. Let us proclaim that this is the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah 61.1, Luke 4, 18 and 19. To everyone listening to me today, I want to call for 40 days of prayer and fasting to begin on Monday, March the 7th. On Sunday night, March the 6th, at 6 p.m. in our New Life building, I'm calling us into a time of solemn assembly to consecrate this fast. When you come into our New Life building that evening, 
We'll encourage everyone, if possible, to sit on the main floor. We'll have concentric seating on the main floor all together. I've done this before in prayer circles, in gatherings. It's very powerful. There will not be emphasis on the platform, on a musician or a speaker, but together as the people of God will be facing one another, praying together, and it will be a solemn assembly. Joel chapter 1, 14 gives us biblical direction about this. Joel said, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. We're going to cry out to the Lord together. And starting on Monday, March the 7th, you'll have uh, three opportunities a day to fast and cry out to the Lord in prayer. We'll do this exactly for 40 days. Our 40 days of prayer and fasting will end on Good Friday, the day that, the, the day that Jesus died for our sins. Our time of prayer and fasting will also correspond with the season of Lent. You may not know about the season of Lent, but it's part of the liturgical church calendar where people will give up something in preparation for Easter. So all of this is leading up to Easter and an emphasis that we're going to be pushing and hopefully modeling as a staff that we invite people to Jesus and invite people to come and gather with us on Easter. Look at Daniel chapter 6. We've looked at Moses and Elijah and Jesus and Esther and Mordecai. Let's look at another Old Testament person, Daniel 6. It says, when, verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, this document, by the way, was one signed by the king that basically said that if anyone prayed to their own God that they could be killed. So Daniel knew this. He was an upper-level official in the nation. He was not living in Israel. He was living out of country. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went into his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. You see, Daniel models for us. The spiritual discipline of setting a time to pray. He models that for us. I think we have that uh, in, your, in your notes maybe on version. But this idea of, of setting a time to pray. He models this for us. He models this. And because of his faithful obedience to this discipline of prayer, he was arrested, seized, and thrown into the lion's den. But the Lord God sent his angel to deliver him. And God will deliver his church from the enemy's schemes to divide, destroy, and devour us if we too, like Daniel, will pray and fast and call upon the Lord. Why three times? Well, it's practical. We pray, we eat most of us eat three meals a day. So some days you may choose to fast from all three of those meals. Uh, some days you may fast from one or two or none. We're going to give you a lot of instruction about how to do it. But know this. Not everyone is able to physically 
fast from food. Do not take 40 days of prayer and fasting as some kind of spiritual thing that's going to put you under condemnation and judgment. Let us take from that great season of Lent, which is identify anything in your life that you can remove from your life to help you focus upon the Lord God in prayer. For me, it's primarily going to be food. I'm just saying it. I have found personally that fasting from eating makes me hungry for God and dependent upon Him. And it helps me hear His voice more clearly in my life. So, whether you choose to fast from food, the traditional fast, or from these things which can take up your entire life, or Facebook, that abyss of time that it robs from us, whatever it is that you fast from, just know that you're doing it to dedicate and consecrate yourself to God in prayer. So no condemnation, no judgment. The Bible gives instruction that when we fast, we're not to like make a big scene about it. Oh, I'm so hungry. Don't say that, right? That's for, let your hunger go to the Lord in prayer. Not to everybody else, oh, woe is me. I mean, don't, that's not the point of fasting. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about him. So, for 40 days, you'll have an opportunity to, we thought, could there be a place that maybe you could come and gather here, if you'd like? And we're going to do that. I think we've got a slide about that. But we're going to go to our chapel. It's been renovated. It's gorgeous. 6 a.m., 12 p.m., 6 p.m., you can come in those times. We'll have those disposable Lord's Supper elements there so you can think about Jesus, his cross, his resurrection as we're getting ready for Easter. And then it will be self-guided prayer. There won't be a minister leading you in prayer. You come quietly in for an hour, two hours, three hours, 30 minutes, five minutes. But you don't have to come up here to pray. You can pray wherever you are. Wherever you are. But to keep those times in mind. 6, 12, 6. And we'll provide devotional guidance for you as a church. Our staff's going to provide prayer prompts, devotional thoughts to help us all be praying together in unison as a church. Two scriptures. Psalm 18, 6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. God will hear our cry for help. We will call upon God's name together. A second scripture, Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. There's some things that we do not know and when we call upon the Lord together, he will reveal those great and mighty things to us. All right, pastor, these are verses about prayer. I get the prayer. I know I should be praying, but why, why are we going to fast? Really? That's what Jesus did and Moses did and Elijah. I'm not any of those guys. Well, if you look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives three instructions in those verses. 
He begins in chapter 6, verse 2, when you give to the poor or needy. And gives instructions about that. Then he says in verse 5, when you pray. And he gives instructions about that. But then in verse 16, he says, when you fast. Jesus assumes his followers will give to those in need, pray, and fast. That's why I'm calling us into this season of prayer and fasting. In 1857, our nation was on the brink of war, yet no one knew that. Four years would come a war. And God was, in His mercy and grace, preparing a great outpouring of His presence. And He used a single 42-year-old guy named Jeremiah Lemphere. He had just stepped away from his job to be a missionary for a downtown church in New York City, which had been in great decline. In fact, the entire spiritual condition of New York had been in decline. And this man, Jeremiah Lamphere, was tasked with seeking to win the lost. And so he prepared a folder and information about his church. And he would give that out to people as long as he also gave out Bibles and gospel tracts. And he saw some success. But he began seeking God, saying, what am I to do? The task seems so overwhelming to him. And he began to notice the businessmen. In New York City. How restless they looked. The, the gaze on their faces as they would go. Almost like just burdened and, and troubled. And so he went back to the church leadership and said, I want to have a, a weekly time of prayer for these businessmen over the lunch hour. And so they would fast from their lunch and come and pray. He did all he could to get the word out. There in 1857 in the fall. Then on a Wednesday at lunchtime in September of 1857, Jeremiah Lamphere showed up to pray at the old Dutch Reformed Church there on Fulton Street in New York. And nobody was there but Jeremiah. For about 20 minutes. Then somebody else joined him. Then by the end of that hour of prayer, there were six more that came. The next Wednesday, they had 20. The following Wednesday, they had between 30 and 40. And then they decided, let's not just do this once a week. Let's do it every day. By the end of October, there were 100 people. Many who were coming were not even believers in Jesus. And they came under great conviction for their sins. And by the end of the second month of doing this, there were three large rooms of that church that were filled. You see, the layman's prayer revival began with businessmen praying during their lunch hour, fasting and praying. There was the editor of a major newspaper in New York City that was looking out of his window shortly before noon... And he was shocked to see all these men running, even bumping into each other. And they were running into different churches. 
So he sent a reporter down to figure out what was going on. He came back and said, they're all praying. The next day, he got all of his reporters together, put them on horseback, and they covered the entire city. And they came and said, there must have been 15,000 people praying. So he began to write stories in that paper, and before you know it, there were 25,000 people praying. And the more stories that he wrote in his paper, the bigger the prayer meetings got. New York was the center of the world, and all over America, in Cleveland, Chicago, Denver, Los Angeles, people would read the New York papers, and they would see what was going on, and it prompted lay people like you to gather together and pray. There are estimates of between 300,000 people to a million people who came to know Jesus Christ in the years of the layman's prayer revival. And God poured out his spirit upon people who prayed together, preparing our nation for the darkest chapter in our history as an estimated 750,000 Americans would die in the Civil War. How many of those men who died on those battlefields knew Jesus Christ because of that layman's prayer revival. Church, let us come together. It started with Jeremiah Lamphere and six other guys. I think we got more than six people here this morning. And I believe the Lord can do great and mighty things if we as his people humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways. He will hear from heaven. He'll forgive our sin and heal our land. Pray with me. God, I pray that we would hear this call. It's a call that you gave me weeks ago. And in my quiet time, you made it real clear. We're supposed to do this, God. And Lord, I, I just want to obey you. I want to lead by example. I want, to, I want to be on my knees as the pastor of this church. I want, to, I want to practice what I preach, God. I pray that all of us would get serious about seeking your face. God, I believe we can see a harvest of souls on Easter. I believe we can see dozens of people in our community come to know Christ Jesus. Dozens. God, I believe you can do something that we can't even imagine. You tell us that in your word, that you're able to do more than we can ever ask or imagine. We're going to call to you, God, in prayer and fasting, believing that you're going to show us great and mighty things that we do not know, that you're going to change the atmosphere, that we're going to see you move in mighty ways. God, help us to come together. It's something that all of us can do. God, we may not be able to teach or sing but all of us can pray. All of us can humble our hearts before you. Together, unify us. Even as we come to worship in one worship service next Sunday morning. Even as we come together in prayer the night, Sunday night, March the 6th, to consecrate the fast. And even as we spend time at the chapel for 40 days, time in our office desk or classroom or at home, 6 a.m., 12 p.m., 6 p.m., that we're disciplined in our prayers. Let us just be disciplined and focused and intentional. And God, will see you do mighty things for your glory.
We ask this in Jesus' name. This message today is for believers. I mean, I make no excuse. There's, there is very little in this message for somebody who may not know Jesus. But if you don't know Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, today you can come to know Him. We always have a, a final song. and This is a chance for you to respond. So I want to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a song of consecration, a song of dedication. And if you'd like to give your heart to Jesus, I'd love to tell you about how you can do that. Just come on down. I'll talk to you about what it means to confess your sin, put your trust in Him, what He did for you on the cross, and that you can have eternal life. Maybe it's time to say yes to church membership. You've been here long enough. It's time to join. Or maybe God's just burdened your heart. We don't have to wait until next week to start praying. We can pray right now for the people of Ukraine, for our own nation, that we would be that the church of Jesus Christ would arise and be who God's calling us to be. But it starts with us. Lord, take my life. Let me be useful. Lead me, Lord. Let's sing and let's obey God together. Always.